awesome time of worship. Thank you, Jesus. As, as this was going on, um, I, I remembered a verse that I read this morning that just completely arrested me. It was like I'm re- just reading through the Bible systematically and, and my, my reading right now is in, in Lamentations. Um, Jeremiah happens to be my current favorite Old Testament prophet, but it says here in chapter 1, verse 9, he says that she did not consider her destiny. Therefore, her collapse was awesome. And she had no comforter, realizing that God comforts us by injecting into us a full realization of his destiny, of your destiny. And when we don't realize that destiny, we're on a slippery slope downward and we are consumed by the things that we experience, like like the song that we just sang, Call Me Out Upon the Waters. So it's that a picture of Jesus calling Peter out, right? Come, he says, Lord, if that's you, call me to come. And Jesus says, come. And Peter steps out on the boat, starts walking on the water towards Jesus. But as he sees the the storm around him, his eyes goes from Jesus to the storm and he begins to sink. That's the picture for me is that when we take our eyes off of our destiny, who is Jesus, he's calling you. You begin to consider the storm and your collapse is awesome. And at that point, there is no comfort because the comfort is coming telling you, trying to bring you back into your destiny, which you have now no, no, no longer considering. Anyway, I mean, that's not what I wanted to speak to you about today, but I'm just so, so thank you guys for the worship, Aaron, Sujin. <sighs> questions, 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 questions. I've been so... Um, I'm always so happy when I get a question. As I'm reading through the Bible, I'll read something that doesn't make sense. It becomes a question. And that question sometimes is answered quickly. Sometimes it takes years. And, and, And I have a few questions that haven't been answered yet. But just having a question to me is like Jesus sitting next to me and asking that question of me. And then it becomes, oh, I hadn't thought about that before. But I don't know the answer. And he won't immediately tell me. But the process from the question until the answer is a journey with the Lord. As that question is becoming uh, more formed in us. And then the answer is coming up. The Lord prepares us to receive the answer. Sometimes the answer, if it's given too quickly, it will harm you. I don't want to say it'll kill you, but it has destructive qualities if it doesn't land on a prepared platform. Picture this, is that, is that a heavy weight, I want, to, I want to test this platform, right? I put the heavy weight on it, but I don't just drop it down. I put it down and see how it's going to react to this weight. And then you see it starts to maybe shake, some cracks come up, 
and I lift it up immediately and recognize where the weaknesses are. So I begin to shore it up. I begin to uh, strengthen it. And then the answer again is a little bit heavier. It's able to take a little bit more, but then still more weaknesses lift up immediately, strengthen some more until the point where the answer actually has a good solid platform to land. That's the glory of God in our lives. It's a process. We sometimes ask a question and we want the answer. And when it doesn't come, we get discouraged as though God isn't talking to us. And I may have mentioned this before. I think I have. It feels like I remember I have. Is that when you ask a question, sometimes God answers you right away. Sometimes he answers you with a yes or a no. But very often he will answer you with a oh, I like that question. Walk with me. And the journey begins all around that one question or other questions. And how these questions come, they come by us being immersed in the word. These are the questions that are important. Not, why is this happening to me, Lord, like Job is asking, right? And and the story of Job, you may have read it, it's in the Bible, it's in the Old Testament, it's actually the oldest book in the Bible. Um, it was written before Genesis was written, but anyway. Uh, Job goes through this incredible trouble, incredible. I don't know anyone that has gone through such trouble, but Job goes through it. And throughout this time, the, the, the time from the trouble begins until the answer comes, he's asking, why is this happening to me? Why is this happening to me? And when the Lord shows up to answer it, he doesn't answer him, why is this happening to you? He talks about himself. God just talks about himself, about his creation, about this, about the glory. And at the end of this, the answer is clear to Job. He says, I had heard about you, but now I see you, and I repent in dust and ashes. It's an interesting process. And where we ask the Lord a question, he answers us with something that doesn't seem to make sense. Jesus did that a lot. When you read through it, you'll see. He answers a lot in a way that doesn't immediately make sense. You go, huh? But it's the right answer for the right heart. The right question. It may not be the question that's coming out of your mouth, but it's the question that's in your heart. And so sometimes the Lord will not say something to you until it's a question in your heart. Because if, until it's a question, your attention isn't on it. And then because like if he just speaks to you something that is not, you know, whatever, whatever, it just becomes, okay, whatever. And you go buy it. Similar to the YouTube shorts that you see. Who remembers the last one? Do you know nobody, right? You go through, it's 10 seconds, done, 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 done. You don't remember any of it, right? Sometimes the word of God can be like that to us if we're not prepared to hear it. But when it comes to you as a question, you consider it. And then it becomes a journey with the Lord until the answer comes. That's why, I mean, I'm, I'm not actually talking, my message isn't about the question today, but I just wanted to lay that out for you. One of the things actually I found was that, um, uh, like as I read through the book of Proverbs, and I want to encourage you, uh, recently I was told that Billy Graham used to read five Psalms a day and one proverb a day, right? Correct? I love that. I've actually done that on occasion in September being 30 days, I'll probably do that again, but... Um, 
one of the things that happens is when you go through the Bible systematically, you'll find that God starts to come alongside you as you're reading a particular thing that is the calendar reading for that day. The Lord will align your experience and what you're reading as you walk that journey. It's a beautiful experience. I really want to encourage you to do that. In one of these, I was going through the book of Proverbs and, and, and I came across this proverb in 10.4 that's actually quite a simple proverb. It's, it's um, Proverbs 10, verse 4. He says, He who has a slack hand becomes poor, but the hand of the diligent makes rich. So it's comparing the lazy to the diligent and rich and poor. So it's a simple comparison. If you're diligent, you become rich. If you're lazy, you become poor, right? No problem. And then you use that model of comparison. Oh, Proverbs, the book of Proverbs is actually the word proverb means comparison, right? So I'm always comparing this to that. So you think, oh, it's simple. It's always comparing, let's say, good and bad and this and that and this and that. But then you come across some proverbs that aren't simple. They don't have direct comparisons. So it kind of becomes, lands in a mystery. One of those is Proverbs 13, 10. And here's how it goes. By pride comes nothing but strife. But with the well-advised is wisdom. And I want to break this down with you today. By pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Okay? So, you can see that? So this verse now suggests that it should be compared like this. By pride and strife. I can't. <laughs> I'm sorry. Anyway, it says pride and strife. All right? All right, so the, the direct opposite to these is, so pride, normally you would think you would attach it to well-advised, strife to wisdom, but somehow it doesn't fit, right? Nope, this is a complex proverb. It's not like the simple one that I read to you in 10.4. So how does it work? I'm going to introduce some new boxes in here to see what... What normally happens is that you've got the things that he's comparing side by side, but if it doesn't work, then you bring it down to the opposite, to the diagonal. Okay, now we've got these boxes. What do we have? Pride. What is the opposite of pride? Humility. Right? What is the opposite of strife? Harmony. Peace. What is the opposite of well-advised? Ill-advised. Good advice, bad advice. Right? The opposite of wisdom? Foolishness. So these actually are speaking to you a set of, a, a portion of the Proverbs that's not written. I could very easily read this Proverbs 13.10. It's written as, by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. 
What's not written but is part of the same proverb is by humility comes nothing but harmony. But with the ill-advised is foolishness. It's the same proverb. But one's written and one's not written. There's a hidden proverb and a displayed proverb. So what is this actually showing us? Get rid of those. Here's where the interesting thing comes. You know, you know in uh, Proverbs 25, it actually says that it is the glory of God to hide a matter. But it is the glory of kings to search it out. So the hidden part that is there, it's just concealed. It takes a little bit of move, a little bit of searching, a little bit of digging, a little bit of questioning. What's going on here for it to actually come out? So what's actually being displayed here are these two. If the green parts aren't obvious, you won't have a box. So what is this actually telling us? Saying that by pride comes nothing but strife, which leads to being ill-advised, which leads to foolishness. That's what that proverb is talking about. Because similarly, on the other side, it's telling you the same thing. By humility comes nothing but harmony, which leads to being well-advised and ultimately to wisdom. All in that one proverb, this whole thing is laid out. Isn't it interesting? Until you ask the question, Lord, I don't get this proverb. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't see how pride and well-advised are compared end-to-end. -end. I don't see it until it actually, okay, walk with me. I'll show you. And this is what comes out. Now consider this a little bit. Consider it. Look at what it's actually saying. It may be a question in your heart that you don't know. Or you may have asked it and you're very aware of it. Many of us asked, how do I get wisdom? Have you not asked that question? Or, or the opposite. I hope this doesn't apply to anyone in the room or on, on Zoom. Why am I swimming in foolishness? Why can't I get out of foolishness? Here's your answer. Here's your answer. If you're swimming in foolishness, you're getting bad advice. And the reason you're getting bad advice is because you're in a state of strife. Whether it's strife with the Lord. Strife means unreconciled situation. Like in a, in a kind of a, a, a battle. Like mm. That strife could be with the Lord. Strife could be with, with your relationships. That strife could be within yourself. But this is also telling me that every strife carries with it the root of pride. And this is a question that needs to erupt in us. Where is there pride in my life? The opposite is also true. You're looking for wisdom? It comes by getting good advice. Good advice that is obtained by good relationships. Good relationships. Covenant relationships. Where you have trust established and built. It doesn't come by just surrounding yourself with just anybody. 
Good advice also comes from the Holy Spirit. That means that if you're in a good relationship with the Lord, you will hear His voice, which comes to you about, do this, don't do that, be careful of this. All of these are good advice. And it's not just receiving good advice. You have to receive, actually be in a position to receive it. Good advice may be spoken to you, but you may have no disposition to hear it. Again, because of a pride situation that's going on. Somebody might have spoken to you something that's good, but you've gone, I don't like this person. I'm not going to listen to what they say. And I love Bill Johnson. He says this, you know, very often you will, um, you will be given a package with your name on it from somebody whom you despise. God will very intentionally give, let's say, I'm, I'm going to use my friend Vartan here. I love him dearly, but I'm just going to use you as an example if you don't mind. Okay? Let's say you and I are um, in a battle and I don't like you at all. Right? <laughs> and God will give him something for me. Intentionally. So that when I actually, in humility, honor this relationship, then I receive what was destined for me. It happens a lot. Bill Johnson talked about this. I loved it. It kind of stuck with me, so I kind of use it once in a while. What is humility? What is humility? We struggle with that one. We don't recognize pride very often. Sometimes I should say. I'm sure we recognize it more times than we don't. But we don't necessarily know what humility is. Because the world says humility is weakness. But it's not true. Humility is the ultimate strength. Philippians 2.8 says this. About Jesus, he's talking about Jesus. And being found in the appearance of a man, Jesus humbled himself and became obedient to the point of death, even the death of a cross. We see the ultimate picture of humility starting from the creator of the universe. Imagine the one who is the most powerful being, whose word created everything, including you and me, is humble. It's his nature. He's humble. That means that if that is his core of his nature, everything that is of pride is contrary to his nature. Is in fact, it's, 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 it's of the enemy, it's of Satan. That's why as soon as there's a little, a, a little bit of pride, wherever that is, the enemy has license to work through that, to create strife, to bring ill advice to you, to drive you towards foolishness. And because we hold on to pride, we're okay with the foolishness that it results in. We come to live with it. It becomes our norm. But foolishness, we recognize as not being good. We suffer because of foolishness. We make a bad decisions and we suffer for it and we go, ah. Oh. 
But we never tie it back to pride. Humility is what Jesus demonstrated. And one of the questions that I don't think I've had answered yet, I've, I'm beginning to see little glimpse of it. It's, it's, a, it's a theological wonder. I'm, I'm reading a book that's thick, but doesn't even touch it yet. I'm, I, it, it's a question about what if, what if man hadn't sinned? What if Adam, Adam hadn't sinned? Would Jesus still need to die on the cross? I'm not here to answer that question for you today. I don't mean to. But it's a question that speaks about where the humility of God starts and why it should be our model that brings us to a place of wisdom. Wisdom isn't just, should I buy this or not? Or should I take this course? Or should I go down this path? And is that with All of those are components of wisdom. It would be good to know if you're going down. Like, I mean, if you're walking towards a cliff, it's wise to know you should stop. If you're going to touch something hot, it's wise to know you shouldn't touch it because you'll get burned. These are simple things. But the wisdom that makes for life, that makes for destiny, that makes for eternity, starts with the humility of Jesus Christ. His demonstration of humility is something that isn't intuitively uh, uh, embraced by us we go down every other path rather than this one as Christians we know that this is the right one but we avoid it like the plague until we have to do it and that humility is the laying down our lives lives to the cross because we think that as soon as I lay it down, I become a doormat. That matter, which is important to us, dies. And I have, look, some things we have been given custody of. Like the Lord entrusts us with things. Especially like if, if it's a ministerial thing, if your job or whatever, you become the custodian of what the Lord has given to you. He's saying that, let's say, Dawson, here, I am giving this to you. It's a gift. Because you're walking with me, I'm giving this to you. So we give, take it and we run with it. And we protect it. Even protect it against others of the same walk. God has given this to me. I, I, I'm being abstract, I know. But follow me here. I know your spirit will pick it up. We become very defensive with what the Lord has given to us. Not knowing that that very thing that the Lord has given to you will in fact be called upon to be put on the cross. To be put on the altar. Abraham, you're going to have a son. You won't be able to be counted for the number that's going to come from your descendants, your son. Here he is, Isaac, your only son. Put him on the altar. Just like that. What have you received from the Lord that you are protecting? The Lord will ask you to put it on the cross. Or at, at least, when it doesn't mean that it will go on the cross, but as soon as he calls upon you, what is he doing? He is now calling, exposing pride. That needs to go. So every call to go on the cross is so that pride is destroyed 
Because pride cannot go beyond the cross into the realm of resurrection. There is no pride on his side of the kingdom. It's only on our side of the kingdom. On this side of the cross is the only place where pride exists. On his side of the kingdom is only humility because that's his kingdom, it's his nature. So when he says put it to the cross, he's trying to expose pride. Because on the other side is a life of resurrection and power. That's where we need to be. That's where we dwell. But it's hard, especially when it comes to relationships. You might be very right in the position that you have. You might be right, but it belongs on the cross. As soon as you start to defend that right, you are defending the right that God has given you with Pride. That's the tool you're using. And it will crumble in your hands. Not only will you not gain it, having protected, you will not be able to go to God and say, I protected what you gave me. He won't receive it. Because it's not his nature. But when you lay it down, then it receives the necessary power behind it to actually thrive, succeed, get to the destiny that the Lord intends. The disciples didn't understand what Jesus was doing when he was walking the walk of the cross. Peter even rose up, he says, when Jesus finally exposed, you know, revealed that, wait, back up a step. So they're all walking with Jesus, all these disciples. They're seeing the miracles. They're seeing the power. They're seeing the amazing words come out of Jesus' mouth. Like, they, obviously, this is the king of kings. He deserves to be on the throne, all of the other kingdoms to be bowed down to. No doubt about it, right? Who do men say that I am? Peter says, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. Flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, Peter. My father has. And then Jesus starts to say, I am going to Jerusalem, be killed, suffer in the hands of these men or whatever, and then I will be crucified. And by the way, I'll be raised the third day. But the crucified became it. Peter pulls him aside, says, not you, Lord. No, 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 no. Who is Peter? He is now the leader of the pack. He's the only one with the sword. He's the defender. He's the security guard of Jesus. It's not going to happen to you, Jesus. I'm going to protect you. You are the king of kings. <laughs> Jesus' words are funny. Get behind me, Satan. Calls to Peter. Get behind me, Satan. You're not thinking the things of God. You're thinking the things of man. So how does that apply to us personally? It's an interesting matter. But I do believe that pride is hidden in us. And in our lifetime journey, every step of the way, God is working to root this out from us. Pride hides in pain. Pride even hides under humility. You can be proud to be humble. 
pride hides in places, lurks. It's no wonder that pride in, in the book of Job is likened to a snake. He hides, he slithers. You don't know where it's pride until you humbly go before the Lord and say, why? And he says, lay your life down and I will show you. You had an argument with your wife. Those who go, the, the person that goes before the Lord first and says, what's going on here? We'll hear the words pride. Yeah, he's so proud. I can't stand it. <laughs> no, no, no. He's talking to you, to me personally. Pride. He's asking you. He'll never say to you, that's happening over there. That's the reason for that. He always calls upon us. Lay our lives. You lay it down. You lay it down. You're right? You're right. Great. Lay it down. Are you right? Lay it down. Are you right? Lay it down. Are you wrong? Lay it down. So you will see where the wrong is, where the right is. And then together you will embrace it. So one more small example. Being right isn't godly, necessarily. Having life is godly. Being right is just the other side of the tree of good and evil. You can run with it, but it leads to nowhere but death. You can protect it, it's right, I know, it's right. Whether you're cut off on the street and, and then it becomes a road rage chase, not that I've ever been on one. I've seen t videos, trust, <laughs> anyway. Um, proudly protecting the right versus the wrong. All that is, is the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Nothing more. Nothing more. And by nature, we do that. Because that's the DNA that we have received from Adam after the fall. It is part of our nature to chase after good and evil. Look, the news is filled. They have a knack for identifying evil everywhere. Right? And we get sucked into it. That's evil, that's evil, that's evil. That, what you're saying to me is bad. This is just the tree of knowledge of good and evil. It does nothing but kill you. That's its nature. That's why I believe the tree of life, just a little snippet here. You know where it says there's the tree of life and the tree of knowledge of good and evil, right? The tree of knowledge of good and evil brings death. This tree brings life. Again, a comparison. What's missing? What is this tree of that brings life? The tree of knowledge of good and evil brings death. What is this tree of that brings life? Have you ever wondered? What is that tree? I have a theory. I'm just going to tell you my theory. Maybe the Lord will speak to you something different and come and tell me. I think it's the tree of for God so loved the world that he sent his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have eternal life. Because that is the model of the walk with God. 
What Jesus did, we do. He wasn't afraid to lay it down. The king of kings, all of the kingdoms promised to him, it's his. So why die? That's the way. And one day we'll talk about whether it was necessary for him to die if Adam hadn't sinned. That's an interesting theological conundrum. But we'll talk about it one day as the Lord leads. So my husband asked me to, if there's anything that's on my heart, I can, <clears throat> I can add or lead us into a time with God. I, I, I just want to emphasize the point that when we don't defend what is good to defend, because when God has given us something good, um, it's God's nature. He's a defender. So God wants it to be defended. It's not like we don't care about the things that are good. He's a God of justice. He's a God of righteousness. He's a God of fair. He's a, he's a God of, um, you know, he's, he's a fair God. So it's not that he's saying, it's okay, let go of it. But I feel like we need to, um, to emphasize that when we, um, when when we defend it by giving it to God, then um, it's really defended. So we always look at the things, if something is good and it needs to be defended, but in order for me to defend it, I have to exercise anger. There is offense with it. I'm offended. And so I'm going to now defend myself or my property or my family or my whatever it might be when it's accompanied by offense or anger or an unforgiveness that means that I'm doing it and I haven't trusted that God who is the perfect defender is going to defend it for me so therefore it shows in me a pride that I'm actually saying, God, I think I have to do it with anger, with fear. I have to do it with offense because if I don't, I don't trust that you're going to be able to do it. So I am becoming, there's pride in me against God. I'm not trusting God to do it the way it needs to be done. And how is that? There's no offense in me. There's no anger in me. There's no pain in me. When I think of that, I'm not afraid when I think of what needs to be defended. Because I'm saying, God, I let it go. I don't let go of defending. Of, I don't let go of that thing needing to be defended and protected. I don't let go of knowing what is right and just but I lay it down to you because you can do it and in my heart you're creating an environment in my heart where there is no fear when I think about it there's no anxiety 
There's no unforgiveness. There's no offense. There's no hurt. So God does this. He cleans this up as I lay it down so that it's actually a matter of pride because I don't have to, or it's a matter of humility because God, I don't have to do it the way I think it should be done. I trust your opinion on this matter. I trust your way. And that starts to work inside of me, a humility. It's no longer I need to control it. That's humility before the Lord. It's humility before you to say, it's okay. I'm going to trust you. I'm going to love you. Even if I think I'm right, I'm going to choose to honor you. I'm going to continue honoring you. Because that humility equals, I trust God to do it in the way he needs to do it. Both that thing that needs to be protected and what's going on inside of here. That infrastructure for the weight of God's presence to be inside of me, to be carried by me, is being created when I do that. So I, if, if you'd like to pray us into it, I'll, I'll pray. So Father, I just ask you, Lord, that you who is searching our hearts, not for the purpose of pointing things out and letting us know that we're doing things wrong, Lord, but you are defending us, Lord, against an enemy, against circumstances who are to uh, take away and diminish the destiny and the purposes that you have for our lives, for our families, for the good things that you've given to us, Lord, that need to be protected and covered. But Lord, we trust you. So today, Lord, we say whatever opinions we've held about you, where they have been wrong, where they've been a little bit, um, it needs a little bit of adjustment or it might need a lot of adjustment. Lord, we let go of our, of our opinions of you. And we ask you now to put inside of us, Lord, opinions and perspectives about you that are right. God, God, you have permission to move things around in my thoughts. I give you permission to move things around. I give you permission to give me opinions that will work, Lord. Not for the immediate, but they will work in the long run where my life is being built in a way, Lord, in a way that I can't on my own build it, Lord. Both inside of me, in my heart, in my thoughts, in my um, mental wellness, in my emotional wellness, for my spiritual wellness, Lord, I allow you to come and move things around. Lord, where I've held things accidentally without knowing, sometimes may, maybe knowingly, where it's been based in pride, I give you permission to point it out to me and to show me because I don't want to walk in pride anymore. So Lord, where there is fear in me, there's offense in me, where there is pain in me, where there is unforgiveness, Lord, I lay them down. I give them to you, Lord. 
and I choose what you're going to give instead Lord I choose to walk in those ways I give you my heart create in me a humility that will go so much further that will take me so much further than what I am able to be or accomplish in my life Lord I choose the humility of laying it down and trusting you that Lord takes me so much further that opens doors for me opens opportunities opens blessings for me that I can never do on my own Lord in my own understanding and in my own knowledge find in me a surrendered heart and surrendered thoughts Lord in Jesus name I ask Lord and I receive Amen.